Blog Talk Radio. This episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio is brought to you by Gamers Inn, where adventure begins. Check out their website at gamersinlehigh.com. Broadcasting live from the DCR studio. Oh, yeah! The Geek Revolution starts here. Excellent! Get ready for the number one hit geek radio show out there. Well, it is impressive, isn't it? Because it's time (laughs) for Dungeon Crawlers Radio. All right, that's it. That's right. That's Dungeon Callers Radio. We've got Savart and Scotty on the line with us, and uh, welcome to another amazing, amazing show. Uh, I'm guessing you guys are still there, right? Yeah, we are here. We're here. Woo woo! Welcome to uh, another show. Uh, we're doing this a little weird. Uh, you know, everyone we're everyone's in a little different place, but we're still doing the show wonderfully together. Uh, we've got a great show. We've got author Carrie Patel coming on the show talking about her new book. Uh, the Buried Life, and then we will have Jared Seach of Seach Films coming on, talking about his latest project, Knights of the Old Republic, Broken Souls, which is available to watch on StarWars.com, uh, and I believe is one of the finalists uh, of their fan film uh, awards, so that's pretty awesome. So we're going to jump on in. We're going to go real quickly. It looks like Carrie is already here, so we can jump into our interview. You guys ready? Yes. All right. You, you, you guys got questions ready. Right? Or no? Yeah, yeah. Scott's got questions <laughs> for sure. Good, 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 good. No, I'm, uh, I'm teasing. All right, let's uh, let's bring uh, Carrie on the line. Carrie, hi everyone. Hi, hi how hi, are you? Hey, I'm Carrie. great, thanks. How are you guys doing? We're doing awesome. Uh, just kind of a forewarning: there is a little bit of a delay since you're calling in. Um, so if we talk over it, we apologize. We don't mean to. It's just. There's that delay, so we don't always hear things. So, all right. Sounds well, good. you know, thanks for coming on the show tonight. And this is kind of your your debut novel, correct? That's correct. All right. So it's got to be really exciting to to know that this is now out and available, or or soon to be. It is. You know, it's it's something that is an aspiring author. You know, you work towards it, you write all these drafts, and then in the back of your mind, you're always wondering, is this really going to happen? And then it kind of does, and you feel this strange, vague sort of queasiness the night before, and then it happens, and the world keeps turning. But, you know, you're like, wow, I, I did it. It's here. It happens. Nice. Now, what kind of inspired you to become a writer? I guess reading, you know, it's always, okay. I always enjoyed books, fiction, and, you know, especially science fiction and fantasy. Um, and I, so I guess it was kind of natural that at some point I thought, hey, I bet this is pretty fun. I wonder if I could do it. Okay. And, and it, I'm, I'm guessing it came pretty fluid, or was it kind of difficult at first? I, I think there's this, you know, I think in, 
in a sense, it's easy to sit down and write a story and just sort of have fun with it and, you know, get something on the paper. I think what's hard is getting to that point where what you're putting on the paper is something that someone else might want to read. Uh, you know, there's there's definitely a lot of practice involved. Um, you kind of have to figure out, you know, how to tell an engaging story, how to make sure you've got character arcs. You know, how's your prose looking? Is your dialogue, you know, how does that sound natural? Um, there are a lot of, you know, a lot of details you have to get right, and a lot of details, you know, in your plots and in your characters that you have to tie together, I think, for to tell a satisfying story. And um, I think it's it's honing all of those skills and learning how to do all these things at the same time uh, that takes a lot of work. Okay. Now, you got your first draft done, and you handed it over to the editor. That had to be nerve-wracking. It was. And, well, to be honest, what I actually handed over to the editor was definitely not my first draft. Um, okay. I've been few through, which is why I think uh, they were willing to pick it up in the first place. Okay. Well, um, so let's talk about the bur- – is it bur- bur- buried, buried? I, that word. I never know how to exactly <laughs> say it right. So how do you pronounce that it? you. The buried life. The buried life. Okay. So I had it right. Okay. So can you kind of give us a background of the – the novel itself, without giving away too much, of course. Of course. So, Buried Life is a story of murder and intrigue and politics set in an underground city. Um, it's not exactly steampunk, but it does have some sort of neo-Victorian sensibilities to it. Uh, it does play out largely like a murder mystery, um, but it it's it's definitely speculative fiction, and it's you know it's really the story of the evolution of this city as much as anything else. Um, so, you know, I think readers who love mysteries, readers who love, you know, speculative fiction with kind of a new weird twist um, will definitely find something to love here. Okay. So, this sounds very interesting. So we got some murder, some murder mystery going on, Victorian era. So not quite steampunk, but something kind of of its own then. Yeah. Okay. Nice. So, did it take a lot to kind of come up with the idea? Because uh, is there any type of history, or what influenced you to kind of create this setting? So, the idea for the setting itself came from actually a study trip to Argentina. Um, there's this famous district in the city of Buenos Aires called La Recoleta, and there's a famous cemetery there that has all these really amazing above-ground mausoleums, and they're packed together really tightly, and just sort of that area itself is all walled in, and it looks like a small city on its own. Hmm. Um, and so I think just sort of, you know, I, I had a about a 20-hour bus ride across the country towards the end of the trip, and I think I just, I had that image stuck in my head. Um, and it sort of had this certain flavor and this this sensibility attached to it. And so I started thinking about, well, what would a city built in this way really be like and what kinds of characters would live there, you know, and what kind of story would I, you know, could someone come up with between them? Um, and so that was, that was really where it all started. And then when I got home a few weeks later, I actually started outlining and, you know, the whole time, at least for me, when I was writing, since it was my first book, I was thinking, ha ha, we'll see how far this goes, but this is fun for now. 
you know, and then you're about 20 words in and you're like, wow, I, I, I think I could keep going with this. Um, and so, yeah, that whole process was, it was about a, a year. And then the much longer part of course was, you know, the revision and the refining and the figuring out what worked and what didn't work. Nice. Uh, guys, do you have any questions for, for Carrie? Yeah, I was curious about uh, her main characters. Uh, what show, what inspired you for them, creating them? Well, you know, I feel like with any good mystery, you need a detective. Uh, and so Malone is one of the two protagonists. And, you know, she's, you know, she's kind of this, you know, tough, bullheaded sort of detective type. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of her job is, Figure, you know, it's obviously solving the murder, figuring out what's happening, but a big part of that involves um, butting heads with some pretty powerful people in the city. Um, and so she had to have some grit to her, and she had to have, you know, a lot of determination. Um, the other point of view character is a maid named Jane. And I guess for her, I wanted to try to write um, a point, you know, a point of view protagonist who had some very different qualities. Uh, she's much she's much more unassuming than Malone. Um, she's pretty quiet and her job sort of requires it because she works for a lot of, you know, very powerful people who, you know, certainly don't want to hear their business from a maid. And so, you know, discretion is important to her um, and kind of reading between the lines is, is as well. Um, but she's very observant and a lot of these qualities um, make her someone who is ideal to notice um, a lot of details about, you know, about the murders, about what's happening, um, because a lot of the, some of the people who are involved in this situation are her clients and people in sort of her clients' social circles. Um, and so, you know, her, her point of view in the story is, you know, really giving you a good look at kind of how the city is transforming as a, as a result of these crimes and, um, you know, what the, what the larger impacts and larger implications are. Um, hmm. That's awesome. They require you. To, they require you to do a lot of research um, into being a detective or whatever the case may be. You know, I didn't do a ton, and I I sort of uh, took some solace in the fact that I was definitely not writing a modern police procedural. Um, you know, it's 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 in a fictional setting. It's it's not historical, and it's certainly not modern. Um, and I I set up the kind of the bureaucratic structure of the the municipal police, which is Malone's organization, um, to be very distinctly, you know, an organ that reports to the ruling council of the city, but that does not directly take orders from them. Um, and so it, it, I felt like that let me get away with uh, giving Malone a lot of agency and, you know, letting her solve her problems in, you know, ways that probably a lot of detectives in detective fiction, you know, couldn't maybe. Where did you get your inspiration from? Uh, well, for the story, I, you know, I think a lot of good speculative fiction involves a mystery of some kind. You know, part of it is you build up this really interesting world, um, and, you know, so it would be a shame not to, not to give readers a way to explore it. Um, so I, you know, I, I had this idea for this, you know, and again, it's an underground city, um, and sort of tying in with that is this idea that, you know, something very bad happened in their past, and no one really talks about what it was anymore. Um, and they actually sort of hide their history, and they it's something they try very hard not to think about and not to pay any attention to. Um, 
and so I wanted I wanted a plot, a story that would that would bring that out and that would force people to sort of face some of the things they left behind as you know as a society. Um, and so you know a mystery plot where you've got you know you've got sort of these consequences to to the city's past and you know these external forces that are kind of dredging some of this stuff up um, that felt like a really good fit for for the city of Recoleta. Nice. You know, I no, sit there I, and I think about writing a mystery and it kind of blows my mind because I can understand writing a fantasy novel or something because it's a forward progression, but I think of a mystery and I always think of like solving a hard maze. Is it something where with the maze you can start from the back and get through it easier? Do you do that when you write a mystery? Is it something you start from the back and figure out your story so you can write it forward? I definitely like to know what the ending is. And I imagine, I know that, you know, the plotting versus flying by the seat of your pants is something that's a different process for every author. And I honestly don't know if, you know, mystery authors in particular tend to favor one approach or the other, but um, I definitely like to know where I'm going. Um, I feel like it, it helps, certainly just helps me write with a, I guess, a greater sense of assurance and, um, you know, put more definitive actions and conversations into the scenes. Um, but I, I think it also helps you, at least helps me sort of sow the right clues along the way, um, you know, put in the right red herrings and kind of create, you know, the arcs of tension and relief that I think are important to making it, to you know, making it feel like you're getting somewhere but not too fast. Is this was... like a, a standalone novel or are you planning on other books with these same characters? Um, I'm actually I'm planning on a trilogy. Um, Angry Robot will actually be publishing the sequel, Cities and Thrones, uh, this summer. And then I'm working on an outline for the third book. Very cool. I was going to jump in here real quick. What is one of the challenges you found in writing the story? I mean, was there anything that, you know, while writing that was really challenging? I mean, like in my, my case, when I try to write, you know, there's distractions of family from the family, or maybe it's really awesome weather outside and it's been cold. Now suddenly I want to be outside, not sitting, writing. Uh, what were some of the challenges you faced? You know, I think, uh, kind of like what you're saying, I think just, you know, having the patience to build up that focus is always a challenge. Um, you know, I feel like it can sometimes, you know, it almost always takes at least 15 to 30 minutes for me anyway to build up that writing momentum so that I really feel like I'm in the scene, I know what I'm doing, I'm enjoying what I'm doing, um, and I'm, you know, moving along. And, it, you know, those first 15 to 30 minutes, you know, that's always the time where you're thinking, wow, I should really check my email again. Or, you know, I should look at what those bloggers are saying right now or, you know, what's happening on Twitter. Um, yeah. So I think, and, you know, sometimes it takes longer. Uh, but, you know, definitely soldiering through to that sweet spot uh, where you're writing and it's feeling productive, you know, and you're getting somewhere is it's still a challenge for me. Okay. Now, do you ever find yourself where you're writing and maybe one of the characters is, like, so opposite who you are that it's really hard to kind of get in the head of that character or the mindset for that character? You know, I feel like I actually really love when my characters are different from me. Um, okay. I think I'd almost feel self-conscious about writing someone who felt too similar to me because I feel kind of like I'm, you know, exposing myself on the page for everybody else. Um, and it's when I can see something 
different in a character that I think, you know, that's a detail I can latch on to as a writer and think, ooh, I want to explore, you know, this side of this person and, you know, why are they this way um, and how does this, you know, how does this turn up in, in scenes and in interactions with other characters? Um, but, yeah, I, I guess there's, you know, there's some kind of difference like that and I'm sure some element of similarity too probably in just about everyone I write. Yeah, that's that's good. And interesting all at the same time. So uh you've got the book out now and it's it's been an amazing moment because it's out, people can see it, you're seeing it bouncing all over the place. Is it really hard for you not to want to go out and say, Okay, I gotta read all these reviews, whether they're positive or negative? Because I mean especially when you see a negative one, that's I mean, that's gotta be like a kick to the gut even though it just they may have a bad day or who knows. You know, it's funny that you say that, um, because one thing I've noticed, I actually, I'll read reviews sometimes when, um, you know, like my, my husband or one of my friends, you know, sends me one and says, oh, this is a really good one, you should read it. So I'll read it and think, oh, yay, that's wonderful. Um, but I've noticed that when it comes to your own reviews, you definitely tend to focus on the negative. Like, I could read a review that is actually pretty mixed, and maybe, you know, at the end, you know, gives it a kind of recommendation. Uh, but what I'm going to see is, you know, the negatives um, and the criticisms. And I'll think, oh, that was a terrible review. Oh, gosh, I'm so embarrassed. Um, you know, and again, in reality, if I'd read that review for anybody else's book, I would have thought, oh, huh, you know, this is what the reviewer mm-hmm. likes. This is what they didn't re- like. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a bad book, you know. Um, so I think I've, you know, I have to be judicious with uh how and when I choose to read reviews, because um, otherwise, you know, I find I can definitely just fall into that that spiral of, you know, either, you know, patting myself on the back for the good reviews and not really getting anything done or just sort of shame spiraling about the bad ones and not getting anything done. So I get kind of the high-level feedback um, from people close to me, and I think, oh, you know, that's interesting, that's good to know. Um, again, read the ones they point out and say, hey, you should really read this, and, you know, certainly makes my day, uh, but I guess I've really just been, you know, trying to focus more on writing the next thing. Nice. Now, this kind of isn't your first uh, real attempt, I, I guess, at writing because your day, you have a your day job where you uh, do, uh, you work for Obsidian Entertainment as a narrative designer, correct? Correct. Now, has has that uh, experience kind of helped you uh, with your writing? I feel like it has, definitely. And, you know, it, it's funny because I, I got my job at Obsidian at almost exactly the same time that I got my contract to uh, publish Buried Life. Um, okay. But, yeah, so they've been, they've definitely been, I think, wonderful opportunities. I'm I'm thrilled to be doing them both. And I think kind of doing them side by side uh, has certainly been illuminating for me as a writer. And, you know, for me, one of the biggest things is that when I sit down in front of my computer and I'm staring at that blinking cursor and trying to think, what happens next in this scene? Um, you know, sometimes for me, the biggest hang-up is just having a little bit of a lack of direction. Uh, but the great thing about, you know, writing for a project like a game, um, you know, writing for Pillars of Eternity in particular, is that you have constraints and you have direction. And, you know, you're working with a team so, you know, you have you have people in other disciplines that you talk to and you work these you work these decisions out together and you're not just sitting down thinking, 
I've got a story now. Where does it go? You're thinking, you know, this is this is the world I've got, and these are the quests we have, and, you know, these are the things we need to tell the player, and these are the, you know, the NPCs we need to direct them to. Now, how do I do that in an interesting manner? Um, sometimes, honestly, having those constraints makes writing a whole lot easier. So it's it's kind of those little stri- webs that go off that give you direction where you can go next, where sitting at the, mm-hmm. we'll say, we can't say typewriter, the laptop, you don't have those. Yeah. So you got to go, okay, where am I taking my character now? So that, right. It, so how do you balance that? Because, you know, the day job you have that, and then you come home and you go to write, and you don't have that. Is is that why you kind of feel like maybe it takes you that 15 minutes? Or or, or maybe I'm wrong. No, no, I, I think you're right. Um, you know, it, it certainly helps to have kind of, you know, the accountability and, you know, of a group, of a group behind you, um, you know, working with you. Uh, you know, whereas, again, with, with my own writing, I don't really have that at the moment. It's, you know, I'm I'm not on a deadline right now, and so it's just sort of finding that time and then, you know, tapping in, into that sense of urgency uh, to think, you know, we're sitting down now, we're going to do this, we're going to come up with something. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my, my process is generally just to make sure I'm, to make sure I'm always carving out time for it and to kind of be, you know, I'm one of those people that sometimes I need to be at home and a lot of times I need to be away from home to really get some writing done. And mm-hmm. so I just kind of try to be sensitive to where I feel I'm going to be productive that day. Um, and, you know, sometimes that means, you know, heading out and going to the Starbucks or somewhere. And sometimes that means, you know, going home, throwing on my pajamas and, uh, you know, sitting at my desk. Okay. Uh, you're not the first author that I've known or that has said that, yeah, I, I got to throw my pajamas on when I write. <laughs> so do you have to find <laughs> yourself kind of feeling comfortable to write? I mean, I, I've never, you're, you're the first person I've asked that question to, cause, but it t- kind of seems to be a theme where a lot of writers like to be wearing their pajamas to do to do the interview or not the interview, the to do the, the writing, excuse me. I think that's honestly why many of us become writers because there aren't that many other jobs that you can do in your pajamas and nothing is more comfortable than pajamas. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You know, I hadn't really thought about that part of it consciously. Uh, I think, I think honestly the biggest aspect to my sort of physical comfort when I'm writing um, is I, I like to stand a lot. So, you know, Back when I was in Houston, I had I had an actual like a, a desk I'd found on Craigslist that was uh, built for treadmills, and so I found a that on Craigslist and a cheap treadmill on Craigslist, and that's where I would do a lot of my writing until I got tired and wanted to sit down. Um, you know where I am right now in California. You know I've just got some some things I stack up when I want to stand, and then when I'm ready to sit again, I, I move them away. Um, but I think that that kind of up and down motion and um, you know, certainly not sitting in a chair where I feel like I'm going to fall asleep. I think that's what's a bit more important to me sometimes. Okay. Now, I have to ask a question. Could you actually really write well on the treadmill? I mean, that's got to be difficult. You know, you go really, really slowly. Um, I would okay. go, I would set it to a speed of about either half a mile an hour to a mile an hour. And it's really just enough to kind of move around a little bit. Because I find that especially when I'm on a roll, I get kind of fidgety. And so okay. it's nice to be able to do that while still staying in front of my computer. Yeah. Okay. That, 
that, that's actually pretty good. Uh, good idea. So, uh, guys, do you have a, any questions for Kerry? Um, well, uh, I don't know if you ever experienced this through writing through this book, but uh, writer's block, if you ever experienced that, and what was your process of maybe getting past it? I do, and that's that feeling every day when I sit down for those first 15 to 30 minutes where I'm trying to figure out what happens next. Um, I think for me, I I find that sometimes to get past the block, I need to step back and do some more planning. I'm a big planner, so like, I love lists, I love spreadsheets, I love mind maps. Um, sometimes I find that kind of, you know, poking around a problem without forcing myself to answer it directly will sort of bring the information to the forefront that I need to get through that block. Because usually for me, I mean, writer's block is about not knowing what happens in the plot, um, you know, or how it's going to go about, how it's going to occur, not not anything else. Um and and then sometimes I'll find that I've made, you know, just about every list and spreadsheet I can think of to, you know, to try to get at the problem, and I really just need to start writing. Um, and it may mean, you know, some words that, that I don't end up using. It may mean that it takes, you know, a few pages of kind of meandering to figure out where I'm going. But sometimes it, you just, I find that I just need that momentum of, you know, getting one word to go after another and, and keeping that keeping that going, and then I start to, I start to figure out that I've, I've got what I need to to move on. Awesome. Texas. I heard you guys' whisper. <laughs> What's that? I heard your guys' whisper. Uh, Carrie, you're from Texas, if, if I remember correctly from what I read earlier. Is that correct? I am. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So is the scenery of the book taken from around where you're from or where you visited before? Or where did you come up with this underground? You mentioned being in the area with the mausoleums and stuff. Is that mostly focused around that? or? Yeah, that was uh, that was really the pretty much the whole inspiration for the environment. Um, I mean, there, you know, there certainly are scenes that take place above ground. It's not one of those, you know, novels where the surface is an unlivable wasteland. Um can't tell you exactly where it takes place because that would be a little bit of a spoiler. Um, but yeah, the most of the setting just came from kind of that that one seed of inspiration in Argentina, and then kind of making up the rest and filling in the details. Nice. All right. Well, now the book just came out on March third, so it's been out almost ten days now, so nine days. Mm-hmm. Um, Things are going well. Inter- uh, reviews are coming in. You're doing, you know, the whole interview uh, circuit. Now, are you finding it hard to uh, find time to write the next book, or are you pretty well into the next book? Um, I'm, I've definitely found it hard the last couple of weeks to really sit down and focus on the next book. I am, I'm actually about uh, maybe halfway into another project, so it feels good to at least have that much momentum built up. But yeah, my, I, I'd say my what usually would have been my writing time these, this past these past couple of weeks has uh, really gone more towards you know promotion and marketing and interviews and all this stuff that's you know very exciting and a lot of fun to do uh, now that I've actually got a book out. Uh, speaking of promotions, uh, what do you think about the trailers for books? Do you think you'd be interested in ever doing one of those? 
You know, I'm not sure. Um, I'd be curious to see more data on how they do. Um, you know, I feel on the one hand, like, any, you know, as much as you can do to sort of, you know, highlight your book and, and get it a little bit more exposure, like, that's always a good thing. I guess, though, in my perception, I don't know that book trailers have really become um, much of a medium for, you know, for how people choose to discover books. Uh, and so uh, until that changes, I probably wouldn't personally push for one, but I would certainly be willing to be convinced otherwise uh, if I saw some, some indications that they might do a little more. Yeah, I, I, it's always kind of, uh, at least on a personal side for me, it's always been kind of tough seeing those book trailers because it's like, you know, I'm used to those for movies, but it just doesn't make sense for me for a book. Mm-hmm. So, and and I've seen a few and some have been pretty cool, but it's still like it's not mainstream enough, I guess, that everyone is making those. So, it's kind of awkward whenever you see one now and then. Yeah. Well, and you know, you want them you want them to be good. Like I think, you know, a good book trailer is better than no book trailer, but a bad book trailer is worse than no book trailer. Um, you know, and I, I I feel, yeah, I feel like I see quite a few that I think, ah, I don't know, that that just felt a little gimmicky. Um, I think Chuck Wendig actually had an excellent one for, I believe it was one of his Miriam Black books. Um, so, I mean, I think if you can get something slick and stylish like that, uh, that, you know, that, that captures someone's attention, and it also sort of telegraphs the feel and the flavor of your book, I think that's great. Um but yeah, you've you got you want something like that. We're in the process of working on another project right now. Is this part of the third book? Are you doing something else uh, in the so, author realm, or what are you working on? Is this something you can share? Sure. So I've I've got an outline that's sort of in progress for book three, um, but I'm I'm still kind of waiting to get my edits back from Angry Robot for book two. So I'm I'm holding off on more book three until we've got book two squared away. Uh, but I'm also working on a near-future science fiction novel that is about uh, corporate Mars colonization and bare branches used from India and China. Um, and that's, that's what, bare branches are, refers to a population of um, basically unmarriageable males when you have gender ratio imbalances that are, you know, incredibly skewed so that you've got, you know, millions more males than females in these particular regions. Um, and the idea is that having those gender imbalances has been correlated to lots of uh, social unrest and political unrest and crime. And so I wanted to kind of, I, you know, I, I came across kind of that idea at about the same time as, you know, my husband and I were chatting about Mars colonization as a thing that is actually technologically feasible to begin at this point and kind of thought, you know, well, that, that would be sort of an interesting scenario to, to explore the, those two worlds together. Interesting. Kind of a big jump from your mystery book to science fiction, isn't it? <laughs> it is, but you know, it, it's funny because when I sat down to write The Buried Life, I don't think I consciously thought of it as a mystery novel. Um, I think I thought of it more as sort of a, a speculative fiction novel that kind of happened to have a mystery plot running through it, yeah. um, which is perhaps not a meaningful distinction to most people, but um, I've always been, I don't know, I've always had pretty wide-ranging ta- wide tastes as a reader, and so I, 
I definitely find myself wanting to write, you know, pretty broadly as well, particularly within, you know, speculative fiction as a big wide category. Well, it's also nice to kind of expand your repertoire so you're not just the, the thick, you know, the, the mystery, murder mystery person. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, you've got a little bit more under your belt. Sure. And, and so if you're going to go science fiction, um, you know, is this going to is this going to be kind of traditional or are you going to if you uh, you don't have to, you know, tell us the details, but are you going to try to do something a little bit different than the science fiction we're used to? Well, I guess I'd be curious about what you mean exactly by the science fiction you're used to. Um, it is. Well, I mean, it is near. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say most. You know, the traditional science fiction we're used to. You know, you got the you know the male main character that's the macho you know kind of you know good guy, and you've got the in you know the protagonist, and then you got the female character that's always kind of needing to be saved and there's always a dire threat and everyone rushes to save it. And, you know, we got, you also got the kind of the Star Trek, Star Wars archetypes and characters there. And so are we going to see something different from that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I I think when I sat down with this kind of story idea, um, I really wanted it to have this, you know, again, it's, it's near future, and I, I wanted it to have the feel of something that could actually happen. Um, you know, I love kind of the big, uh, you know, dramatic space opera type plots. Those are a lot of fun. Um, you know, but there's always something, there's a, something about a lot of them where you feel like, you know, this is this is fun, but the good guy's a little too good, you know, and the bad guy's a little too bad. And, you know, this isn't, this doesn't feel like the kind of thing that really happens and it doesn't feel like the kind of uh, nuance that we really see in the world around us. Um, you know, and so I think there, there are definitely going to be characters in this book that, you know, come across as more or less sympathetic and more or less relatable. Um, but yet I think it's going to be for the characters a lot less about uh, saving the world and a lot more about surviving in it. Okay. Very nice. Guys, do you have any more questions? Uh, one last one. Uh, what does your, your family think about your writing? They love it, as they're supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, I've, been, I've been lucky to have a very supportive family. Um, you know, that includes my husband, my parents, and my sisters. Uh, you know, they're all big readers, and, you know, every everybody knows it's a this is a hard business to make a living in, and um, you know, so they've I think they've been happy to see me doing what I love and enjoying it. Awesome, it's the way it should be. All right, now is there a, kind of a place that our listeners can go to find you? Do you have a website, uh, social media? Is there any uh, signings or events you're going to? Be- where conventions are going to be attending anytime soon. Sure. So the best place to find me is probably on Twitter. I am at Carrie underscore Patel. That's C-A-R-R-I-E underscore P-A-T-E-L. I do have a website and blog that I need to get a bit more regular about updating, but it's electronicinkblog.com. And then I will be making some convention appearances uh, this summer. 
I'll be at Comic Palooza in Houston over uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, let's see. I'll be at Convergence in Minneapolis over the 4th of July weekend. And then Worldcon in Spokane in August. And World Fantasy in Saratoga Springs in November. Nice. And that, I'm assuming that's Saratoga Springs, New York. That's correct. Okay. I, I just asked because I live in Saratoga Springs, but I'm not in New York, so... Um, ah. I was gonna, I was gonna be shocked and say, "We're having a, a con here." What? Okay. Yeah, no, <laughs> really hard Saratoga Springs. <laughs> yeah, we're we're really small. So, uh, but all right. So again, uh, if you're in the UK, the book came out on March 5th. Uh, North America, it's out now as well as an ebook. Uh, you know, go pick up a copy of it. Uh, it sh- sounds like a, an amazing book. It'll be lots of fun. And who doesn't love a good murder mystery? Come on. I'm sure you've all seen Clue. This will be better. Right? <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, thanks for for coming on the show. Thanks uh, for giving us your time. And you know, uh, please stay in touch and let me know when the next book comes out. Because the next book is, uh, what's, the, what's the name of the next book? Cities and Thrones. Yeah, so Cities and Thrones. So uh, and that's out in August, correct? Roughly? I believe Maybe. so. I'll, yeah, I'll get, I don't think they've set a date yet, but probably July okay. or August or sometime around then. Yeah, well, let us know, and we'll we'll bring you back on. We'd love to talk to you about that book as well. And everyone go out and pick this one up. All right, well, thanks for your time. Thank you thanks, so much. Carrie. Take care. Welcome. Have a good night. You too. All right, we're going to take a small break, folks. As we And then uh, what we'll do is we'll jump in, we'll do some geek news, and then we'll bring a... Uh, Jared in to talk about uh, his latest project, and you guys can uh, go stretch your legs as well. And we will be back in just a few moments. All right. Gentlemen, behold, Dungeon Crawler Radio. (laughs) Good old Dr. Weird. Remember, if you got a mic on, mute the mic. All right. We'll be back in just a minute, folks.
fantastic And I never felt as good as how I do right now Except for maybe when I think of how I felt that day When I felt the way that I do right now, right now I feel fantastic And I never felt as good as how I do right now Except for maybe when I think of how I felt that day When I felt the way that I do right now, right now, right now Work is anything but quiet Welcome back, Dungeon Callers Radio. Uh, we can turn on those. Mi- I'm gonna turn on these mics. All, All right. right. We're back. You can, you can hear those guys on the speaker, right? No. No. Really Hold cool. on. It's okay. So, turn, talk, uh, you guys talk uh, again. Oh wait a minute. It would help if I turn the power button. Gotta have some volume on. here. No, I just had to turn the power button on. All right. So <laughs> we're gonna do a couple things, and we'll jump into the interview. Uh, just kind of want to talk about a couple things. Uh, Nathan Fillion and Alan Tudyke just released an Indiegogo campaign two days ago for kind of a uh, an online video series they're going to do called Con Man about a guy that goes to conventions and stuff like that. Um, this is kind of amazing because it's only been online for two days and they've already reached one million a million and a half dollars. Wow! I'm not look who they are, but, you know. I know it is. Nathan Fillion and Alan Tudyk, but I mean, really, it's a comedy by these two guys, produced by us. So everyone, run out there and uh, go find it. It's Conman under Indiegogo and support it. Uh, check out our, our our Facebook and Twitter page. It's the links on there. They had some pretty cool goals, um, as well as perk options that you can uh, buy in at, and most of them are gone now, um, just because a lot of people bought them. I 
what I'm really amazed at is there's like some of these are up in like the thousands of dollars. Like, you know, you can pay $2,000 and you get a guest spot in one of their episodes. Um there's $5,000 options, 10,000, and then there's of course the top one, the 25,000, but all the smaller like the 10,000, 5,000, 2,000 are gone. You can't even buy in at those options. Wow. Yeah, the, you get to name a character in it in the show. So, um, pretty awesome. I, I'm I'm excited to see this. I'm a huge Nathan Fillion fan, but um, it will be amazing to see this. Um, Probably get an episode filmed at Salt Lake Comic Con too, huh? Hey, we could maybe maybe. Both Alan and uh, Nathan have been here, but what? what yeah. They show up. Oh, so name a character. What name would you put in it? Um, the ginger. <laughs> <laughs> and it has to be a redhead. That, that would be a perfect character, would it not? That's always known as the ginger. That would work. Uh, it'd be better if he wasn't a redhead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you called the ginger? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then, uh, sad news, uh, author Terry Pratchett died today uh, or passed away recently either late last night or this morning sad news uh for those of you that have read his books you know why i'll just leave it at that i mean i i can't speak a, a big fancy eulogy we'll just leave it that way it, a friend of mine we were talking about this if 2015 keeps going this way we're going to run out of stars and famous people i mean seriously <laughs> i know by may but hey maybe you know, that's just clearing out, you know, the older generation so some newer people can show up. Yeah, you know, who knows? Pulling of the herd. Yeah. <laughs> you have to get a little bit closer to the mic, sorry. But yeah. Well, I know, twice in the filming. <laughs> I, I honestly, I just have to say, I don't think he wants to be Han Solo that bad. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he can't kill himself off in episode five. He might as well do it in real life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do like all the little... uh the photo clips that have been coming out where, you know, instead of, yeah, yeah. Where instead of seeing, you know, Hans, or seeing Harrison Ford on the stretcher, you see the carbonite uh, Han Solo. <laughs> There's been one where you see Boba Fett kind of, he's blurred, but then in the distance you see the airplane. He's like, I almost had you solo soon. <laughs> you know, just funny stuff like that. I mean, people have been really creative, but man, I mean, I, I know, okay, he's pretty much out of Indiana Jones at this point. Uh, we're going to get someone else, maybe Chris Pratt, which will be awesome, mm-hmm. um, or or Bradley Cooper. I'll, I'll be okay with that one. Um, but I don't. there can't be anyone else for Han Solo. I, I don't care how old he is. We need Han Solo at least bowing out. You weren't excited about the whole Zac Efron possibility <laughs> coming down and no, no. swaying his hair, doing a swag walk? No, no, no. 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 Zac Efron, no. Everyone say no. Yeah, no. I can um, accept Chris yeah. as Han Solo. He, if he's going to the same flair to do Indiana Jones, I feel like he has the same sarcasm to do Han Solo. Okay. A young, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. He, he, well, if he pulls off Indiana Jones, I think he can do it. I think he could. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just... Air about him. <laughs> It'll be his Star Wars resume. I'll wait. Yeah. Well, I mean... He's awesome as Star-Lord. I mean, I don't yeah. think anyone else could have pulled that character off any better. 
that's one of my my favorite scenes from that movie is at the very towards the very end when he's like dancing, doing his little song, and he's like, "Come on, bro, dance off!" <laughs> like, what the heck? You got this big alien guy with this massive hammer, and you want to dance off? So, yeah, no, it was awesome. So, all right, well, let's kind of let's jump in. You guys have an awesome project that you've just completed. It's, it's wildly, on, insanely awesome. It's yeah. on StarWars.com. It is. Which is even more awesome, because I can't even claim that. <laughs> uh, and so you guys are finalists, or, or what is it exactly? We are the top 25. Or okay. in the top 25. So I don't know how many hundreds of entries went into the film festival, but there are 25 that stand as the dust settles, and we are one of those. Nice. And we'll find out if we... How far we've gone in April. Yeah. Okay. For people who don't know, we're talking about uh, Star Wars Fan Film Awards. Yes. It's like a film festival that Lucasfilm puts on. Uh, it had been canceled for about three or four years, and they're finally bringing it back. But we all know. it with everything else. We kind of know why it disappeared now for a while. I mean, I'm sure they had to turn it down for the, the acquisition to go through and oh, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that, that's awesome that it's back. Because you guys have had one kind of up before for voting, right? I've actually, this will be my third time entering third. Okay. the film festival, and it's always an awesome experience. You get to talk with people you never in a million years would think you existed. Dave Filoni is actually somebody that I run into quite frequently at the film festival, and he is an awesome guy, the director of yeah. uh, Clone Wars and the New Rebels show. And, you know, you just get a lot of insight to your, your projects from the people who really matter and not the YouTube trolls and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's been awesome. It's really fun. Great experience. Nice. Now, so this is set in the Old Republic. Yes. Which obviously is awesome. Uh, now, the main star of the show is who? Well, she sits you. beside <laughs> me for number one. So uh, I don't guess we didn't really introduce ourselves, but uh, I'm Jared Seach. Yeah. I am, you know, the director of the Broken Souls project they're talking about. And then sitting beside me is Jessica Smith. And I was the lead in the project. Yes. So the character that Jessica portrays, um, we wanted to save it for a while, but all of the fans guessed it immediately. Yeah. immediately. She'll be playing uh, Mitra Surik, who is the exile in the second nice. game. Nice. And to set up the story a little bit, uh, in the first game, obviously you're given all the choices and whether or not you become a Jedi or a Sith at the end playing as, I don't know, spoiler alert if anyone's not playing it, but you get it. <laughs> and um, towards the end of the movie, or sorry, the end of the game, uh, canon-wise, Revan becomes... A Jedi. Yep. And he runs away with Bastila, and they're happy forever. Uh, we mm. wanted to give ourselves a little more breathing room so the yeah. fans couldn't stab us in our sleep and we could unbarricade the doors. Yeah. Well, uh, as bad. As bad. Right. Um, we decided to go off an AU, an uh, alternate universe, in which Revan becomes the Sith Lord again. Okay. And he takes back power in the galaxy as Dark Lord of the Sith. And from there on, we kind of decided, okay, what would happen in the other game, if Revan was still around. Yeah. And obviously, Nihilus comes to power, you know, the Trinity or whatever they're called comes to power, and we wanted to say, okay, well, there's not enough room in the galaxy for all these Sith. Yeah. Right. And obviously, Nihilus is something that's not good for the entire galaxy, so yeah. Revan takes it upon himself and the Sith Empire to stop this monster from eating the Force from everyone, including them. Right, so. kind of anti-hero style, I yeah. guess. It's, Sith it's, versus Sith epic showdown. Yeah. So he's kind of the... Basically, the balance is under threat, and so very nice. We have to kind of bring back the balance again, and in doing so, well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, 
and now the expanded universe has kind of been tossed out, yep. and those are legends. So this actually works mm-hmm. because you know this could just be another legend mm-hmm. on top of that um, because the story arcs that we that's been created for Revan and all that. Who knows if those are true or not? So that exactly. that's pretty cool. So. No. I and I love I love this story so mm-hmm. much more. I've gotten to the point now, like since I've been doing so much research for the movie, that I actually like Revan's story <laughs> even more than the original trilogy. Like it's such an ama- <laughs> it, it is it's such an amazing story. Oh, it is. Like it's, it's awesome. incredible and just like the relationships and she loves Malik. I do. I, well, I, I, I mean, their relationship is absolutely amazing. So she think it's cute. It's yeah. adorable. It's a bromance well, for the ages. It was really cool. I, then they came out with the the Revan story. I don't know if you've read that book. Not quite yet. Completely ruined the character. Oh, oh my god! It's not going to happen. I'm not going to read it. Then. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I would say skip it. Okay. I mean, I own it. I went, I was so excited to see it because you know, the Darth Bane books were really great. And I'm like, oh, finally we get a book about Revan after Knights of the Old Republic. And it was such it was a disappointment. Absolutely. It's been sitting in my Audible's folder for a while. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't know. I like the Revan the way the Revan is now. Yeah, I mean, he he goes after the, this dark Sith Empire that's floating out there that no one really knows about and gets his butt kicked. And uh. pretty much is stuck in this stasis through Sith alchemy and power that Revan technically isn't dead even now. Well, that part's kind of cool to think about. Well, I mean, <laughs> but, we come back for the Old Republic expansion, which we haven't played yet yeah. because we don't want to mess around with what we're doing right now. But right. it's uh, it's exciting to think he still exists. I will just say he's existed right after Knights of the Republic, where he still equally is cool, and now he just yeah. I was gonna say yeah. our Revan kicks butt totally, like completely. Our Revan we is did really him pretty awesome. Good we did, yeah. and we wanted to because he's such an amazing character. So, did you guys find it difficult to do the lightsaber battles? to do them justice enough to because you know looking at the old you know four five and six you know the battles were for when we first saw them they were cool but then seeing you know episodes one two and three and how much more fluid the movement is with the lightsaber battles were you able to kind of mimic that or were you kind of more back towards the four five and six i'd say we're a good middle ground yeah Uh, i would agree it was more about playing smart than playing hard when it came to revan and nihilus okay uh, we identified the different styles that they would use. We identified the different kinds of stances and everything like that. Mm-hmm. We did a, you know, our proper research, and then mm-hmm. we just had to find people that could move like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, Revan, the, the battle sequences are pretty fluent. The action sequences are pretty quick. Uh, and I'd say our actors pulled it off pretty beautifully, actually. Mm-hmm. I actually give major props out to Abram Allred and yeah. da- uh, David Latimone and obviously Jessica sitting beside me. The uh, The action turned out quite entertaining. When I was done with it, I was like, man, I wish I didn't make this so I can just watch it and enjoy it. Because <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah, we were really lucky that uh, David had the Nihilus costume and also he was absolutely huge. And <laughs> yeah. when the first night that we were doing choreography... We had Abram, who was Revan, and then David, and David had decided, you know, we'd all kind of thought about it, but then when he first started, he started doing this one-handed, you know, just, it's such a heavy-handed blow, and it was so perfect, and he pulled it off so well, and then, you know, you have Revan, which is Abram, who is just moving around him in circles, you know, really fast, and like the different styles, and we were like, oh my gosh, this is going to work. Like, they pull it off perfectly, and, and we couldn't have asked for someone better than those two to fit into the costume, A. 
and, and to make it work. Yeah, yeah, and to put that much hard work into something that, you know, they volunteered to do it. And as volunteers, they they, worked they were mind blowing. Yeah, they yeah. they worked so hard. And David has a family, and he just had his wife just had a baby at that time, and so wow, <laughs> he had a lot going on. And uh, but he did a really good job trying to balance everything mm-hmm. and, and making it work. And he was really committed, and it definitely showed. Yep. So, so, so how long? Go ahead, Travis. Did you find much of a challenge doing it out at the Salt Flats? I'm going to take it that's where you were looking at the trailer. No, it was all a giant green screen. Yeah, um, was, I showed it to somebody at work, and he was just like, wow, that's the best green screen I've ever seen. I was like, <laughs> you guys are in the Arctic and everything. I was like, dude, no, it's the Salt Flats. He's yeah, from New York, so he thought we were in the Arctic. But anyway. <laughs> it was, it was a, it's a pretty big challenge. I mean, I've shot there a couple times before, and, you know, it's, the most important thing is making sure you got all your stuff before you, you yeah, get there. Yeah, the light, there, the yeah. light bouncing off the salt was probably the biggest problem for him not having the filter. Yeah, we we that had was... some problems containing the light properly, and but you know ultimately they were all just you know things that we could handle, and luckily enough we had some amazing uh, gaffers and stuff like that with us that when we did run into a problem they were willing to get their butts in the car and drive an hour right. out into town to get us something if we needed it. And actually, uh, Trent and Allred, Abe's brother, the guy who played Revan, is the, was our amazing gaffer at the time. And yeah. It was it was very challenging, but uh, it definitely paid off. The visuals are awesome. And another thing is we really lucked out. It was absolutely gorgeous. The temperature was perfect when we filmed. There wasn't water and oh, it was supposed it to be was, flooded. It was yeah, supposed to be flooded. We got there, and just the edges were flooded. As soon as we got out there, everything was perfect. And like I said, the weather could not have been better. It was just a slight chill. So when we were just moving around and being crazy, we were pretty pretty warm. Yeah. But yeah. it turned out really well, I think, the what day. What month so we, were you filming it in? What's that? What month was it that you were out there? In November, the beginning of November. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah, we thought the wind was going to kill us, and we got out there, and it, it wasn't bad. The, yeah. the wind was We had originally decided to gone. film it, uh, I think, even before October. Mm-hmm. And once the news dropped about the Fan Film Awards coming back, we were like, oh, you know, now we can you know, rethink everything we're doing. We can rethink where we're going to shoot. We ultimately had to rewrite the whole movie because right, it was originally going to be like half an hour long. Yeah, the script wasn't half an hour long, and it had some extremely... It was a much larger scale, like we had wreck, wreckage and all that kind of stuff, and and then we realized, okay, we don't have as much time to do this. Well, we, that and the limit was five minutes right, for we the short film, so we compressed oh, okay. it down, we compressed the script, and we took yeah. out, we had to take out several characters that we really loved and were excited about, but then when we had everything finished, we were like, all right. This is pretty <laughs> This up. is pretty good. <laughs> so, to be in the film festival, it can only be five minutes long. Right. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's Hard. Compressing, you know, going from a half hour to five minutes—that's tough. Yeah. It was really hard for us to step out of our comfort zone and say we gotta redo what we're thinking. I mean, ultimately, the story did come back to Revan needing to take down Nihilus. Yeah. That was always the objective, but there right. were so many other characters surrounding the mm-hmm. story that it just made it, you know, that much sweeter when you finally got to the the fight. However. We were, I think we did a fairly good job of just kind of explaining where we are in the universe, what time has happened, all mm-hmm. of the new events that have happened since the Old Republic ended, and we got straight to the fight, and that was the coolest thing to film, in my opinion. Right, and I think a lot of things that we cut out were characters that we didn't end up using, that we really liked, but the development of those characters would have taken up, you know, a, 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 little, a little bit of time. 
Um, but I think most of all, when we thought about this film and when he started writing it, we wanted it to be something that was more psychological as well. And the final cut, not in the one that we have in the festival now, the final cut that he's put together in the end, it, it, it did turn out to be psychological. It was kind of a psychological journey. And so in the end, you got what you wanted. Yay. You got your <laughs> psychological <laughs> nice. yet action packed Star Wars movie. Yeah, so, it's pretty trippy. Nice. Yeah. So five minutes, how much time did it take to film that five minutes? And then how much time did it take to edit that five minutes? We had a total of three days of shooting mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in three different locations. One was just up in the mountains. Uh, and then obviously the salt flats is probably the longest. And then the third day we actually built a set inside a, a stage. I guess it's more of like an office space. But we rented it. Right. And we built our set in there for the spaceships. And there's a lot of scenes that you guys haven't seen mm-hmm. uh, in these cuts because we had to shorten it down to the five minutes right. for the festival. Like, like Revan's little... Revan has Revan a chamber that has we a built chamber. a set for. <laughs> nice. and, uh, um, but yeah, we had a, it's always good when you're making a movie to have a contractor friend. <laughs> yeah, that helps a lot. But anyway, yeah. it took us, uh, I don't know, hours-wise, at least 30 hours to shoot it. Right. Mm-hmm. Probably upwards of 40. And then to edit it... Um, I can't even begin. To well, what editing wasn't as, as big of a problem as like visual effects took way longer, and yeah. finding the music actually was surprisingly the longest part. Yeah. Wow. Um, in the five-minute cut, they gave us what three or four songs. There wasn't much. There wasn't much music that they gave us that we were allowed to use, and we had put yeah. together this really amazing music with original it. soundtrack. Yeah, and um, and then. <laughs> The night before, we found out that we couldn't use that music. So he had to stay up, and it was like he only had a couple of hours to literally put in the new music that was required. Well, not just that. And that sound effects, sound too. Effects yeah. They gave us pretty much Lucasfilm sent me a folder, and they said, yeah. this is all you're allowed to use. Oh, wow. And I was like, uh, well, we have Force Lightning, and we have all these other effects that I have sound effects for, and you're telling me we can't use them. Like, no, you have to use what's in the folder. And I was like, okay, so I put all their sound effects in, and then I went and got original music for the score, mm-hmm. and they changed the rules, I think, mid-November, but we just didn't notice, and they're like, now you have to use all the music that we provided, too, and it was such bad music, oh. terrible music, yeah. but, I mean, we made it work, the The festival cut is still pretty fun. Yeah, it definitely changed so the full better. mood of the film, I think, Yeah, it was a little darker, and now it's kind of... A little more quirky. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you do Force Lightning without the sound effects? I actually went in and tweaked some of the sound effects. You would never believe. Yeah, the kind you of like manipulated, manipulated the sounds. For instance, one of them was a Tie Fighter, I think, yeah. shooting in its thrusters or something yeah. like that. And I went and manipulated the sound effects in uh, my Adobe programs mm-hmm. and kind of made it feel a little bit more like lightning. And when we put right. it in the cut, it worked, and we rolled with it. And that's okay. basically all the sound effects were tweaked effects that yeah. they sent to me. <laughs> wow. He definitely thought outside the box when I came. He was yeah. like, oh, gosh, we got to just make this work. Let's Yeah, let's yeah. think outside the box and get it done. And it so worked. will you be releasing a cut after the festival that has everything that you originally wanted it? We have been working vigorously on the master cut okay. since we submitted the movie. And I got to tell you, I mean, for one, there's scenes in there that obviously are in the festival mm-hmm. cut right. and additional characters in the final cut as well. Like, for instance, Bastila makes an appearance right. in the uh, in the final cut that wasn't in the festival cut. Um, and she's important. The visual effects took a huge step up because we had more time to do it. Yeah. And obviously all the, the sound and the music and everything is much better. So 
although I, I'm very happy with the festival cut that made it to Lucasfilm, I'm way excited to release the director's cut, I suppose, of the nice. film, which right. comes out mid-April. So right now, it's they can vote for it, correct? Mm-hmm. So how long do they have to vote? Until March, I think the end of the end of the month. Okay. You know, where do they go to vote? For one, you can go to StarWars.com. Okay. And there's a tab on there for the fan film uh, festival at Celebration. That's where they're going to be hosting it. Okay. Um, you can go to my website, SeachFilms.com, S-E-A-I-C-H Films.com. And that'll take you to uh, the trailer of our video. And in the trailer, there's a button where you can vote. Okay. And that's probably the easiest way. And you can, you know, if you've got any doubts, you can watch the one-minute trailer and be like, okay, I'll dedicate another seven <laughs> minutes of my life to go and watch it and, and vote. Yeah. But, um, Just five. Oh, five minutes. Yep. Five minutes. <laughs> five more minutes, folks. Five yes. minutes. Yeah. But, um, we were one of three from Utah. Utah. To make it. Really? Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if you know Lucas. Um, Lucas, if you're house. listening, we're dropping uh, uh, some ad space for you yeah. right here. <laughs> Lucas Millhouse put together a film uh, called Stormtrooper Target Practice. And it's a, com- <laughs> and it's a comedy. comedy. And um, it also made it. And um, so, yeah, it's a really funny one as well. And I think there was one other one. Alex Watson put together one called Journey of a Fan Film. Hmm. It's kind of more of a documentary. Yeah. 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 So three different styles. I'm actually interested in the... Uh, the target practice for the That's pretty funny. Super. A lot of people we've worked with before yeah. in it. And yeah. Pretty funny. Yeah. Huh. Uh, it's really interesting to see how the culture for Star Wars has evolved. I mean, it pretty much is a culture now. I mean, there's a religion based on the Jedi Order now. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll be in that, uh, in that cult for a while. Yeah. yeah but you and can't then. Have a woman. <laughs> You got the fan film stuff. Now that it's transitioned over to Disney, it seems like a lot more stuff is rolling out. I mean, we can get Hot Wheels now with Star Wars stuff on it, which you never got before. Which my son has. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really cool. So, do you see, perhaps, that this could be uh, an entryway for directing an actual Star Wars movie? Well... I to be honest, I know that expanded universe is myth or whatever, but I really hope or legend, but I really hope that I kind of hope they run out of stuff and they start. <laughs> they start. They, you know what? We're gonna do this. You know what? We're gonna start bringing this alive mm-hmm, yeah. because it. Yeah, that's kind of my hope that once they go through, because they've got all these TV series coming out with all these different characters mm-hmm. and. Like I'm hoping eventually they'll touch on that because maybe they'll look in our direction someday. I mean, yeah. a lot of the times, every time I go to these film, this particular mm-hmm. film festival, I think, okay, there's at least a dozen people in here looking for talent. Yeah, right. it's like being a football player at the NFL Combine. You're like, yeah. you're, you're waiting for someone to notice you, and every year somebody does. You know, and it's it's very exciting. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, I always cross my fingers that I end up with an opportunity to work with Lucasfilm or I guess now Disney and mm-hmm. yeah. you know who knows what could happen. Uh, I actually got offered an internship at Lucasfilm when they were still in San Francisco uh, when I was done with the last Night of Republic film that I did. Yeah, and I mean obviously life and everything else got in the way and I still tear my eyeballs at night <laughs> in in regret. But you know who knows what else the future has in store because now yeah. you have a relationship with these people. Yeah. You see him constantly enough that they'll right. remember. Oh, that's the that's the guy. And they remember him too when they see him, which is really cool. And so I think eventually, 
you know, he's going to keep building this and keep building this. And one day someone's going to go, okay, this kid is, this is his life. He's not going to let this go. You know what I mean? Might as well bring him in. Well, I mean, just looking at J.J. Abrams, he's a huge Star Wars fan. Yeah. And now he's directing. He was on the other side. He was on the Star Trek side for a little bit. Well, but pulled him over. But he (laughs) he originally didn't want to do Star Trek because he was such a Star Wars fan, and that's why we have really cool Star Trek because Uh, he did it Star Wars style. (laughs) Style Uh, It really is that way because I was not a Star Trek fan, but I love those two movies. They're amazing. Um, And that's you know that's why he's not doing the next Star Trek because he can't balance the two, and I don't (laughs) think they wanted him anyways. Uh, um, But you know, and then they're pulling other directors for some of these other projects. Where you know, there's going to be the standalone Boba Fett one, the mm-hmm. young Han Solo, uh, Rogue One. There's the Rogue One today. that is dropped today. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's rumor of a Yoda one, which would be really cool if we see where Yoda's from, because that's a, been a hidden secret forever. Uh, they're doing animation on that, right? No, I don't really? think that one's an animate. These are all live action ones. Wow. So That's I, you, imagine. <laughs> you know, and this is just one s- small pocket of time right. in the entire Star Wars universe. I mean, yeah, there's Cade Skywalker many years later, or there's the entire Knights of the Old Republic era and beyond. I mean, Disney would, I mean, they bought this for a reason. Mm-hmm. I, I'd have to think because they can go anywhere with it's this universe. universe. Yeah, it's literally. I mean, it's the same reason they bought Marvel. Yeah, it's vast. It appeals to guys. It does appeal to women. The more they're focusing on the guys, um, I would assume, just because they have, I mean, they've had Hannah Montana and all those younger girl uh, TV series, and now this is something that can, boys can jump on to, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to think, though. You're, you're putting a bunch of muscly men in latex suits and saying you're just focusing on guys, though. <laughs> she, she brought up the point when we were doing our first draft of the film. Yeah. Like, you need more women in this. And yeah. In the original screenplay, we did have um, Visa's Mar, mm-hmm. you know, the blind Sith from the, from the second game, and uh, I was excited to bring on these female characters, and a lot of them are really cool. And yeah. ultimately, the fans just in the trailer so far have responded so well to Mitra. You know, yeah. it's, it's brought in a new audience, which we're excited about. Yeah, and I, I think women enjoy seeing that side as well. I mean, yes. You know, men enjoy seeing women yeah. in film. You know, that's the reason why we're gonna win. No, <laughs> but I mean, when he when he first started, it was kind of just men in a lot of his fan films, and now he started to bring women in, and, and you know, men respond to this. I, I will admit, most of the reason that ever most women went to see Captain America and Thor is because you saw Chris Hemsworth and Chris Evans with no shirt on, super muscly, and most women just kind of went. Ugh. Um, and then they got hooked on the story. Right. And I, and I think, you know, with Star Wars, it's something that's universal. Kids, women, men, everyone loves it. Uh, and it has a great story. It's fun. It's action-packed. You got the romance going. It kind of has a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I do agree that it is really fun seeing a really strong female lead. Right. And if you think about Captain America and all of those things, yeah. you know, it's just it's true. You have this strong female lead and that's kind of the way this country is going right now. Women want to see strong women. Yeah. And so they're they kind of gravitate towards that. It's not damsel in distress anymore. That's so over. <laughs> I think even guys gravitate towards that. They really like seeing oh, yeah. that because you know, and I know early science fiction you had the damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. You had the guy that always saved the female. Right. I think we're all kind of 
Past that. Past that, yeah, and, yeah. you know, women aren't that way. They're not helpless. Nope. And when I was a kid, yeah. the first time I saw aliens, and I saw oh, Ripley just take charge yeah. and kick some major uh-huh. butt, I was in. I uh, was like, yeah. let's do it. Bring on, bring on the chicks, man. Well, then you then you go to Aliens 2, and she ups the ante even more. Right. So, what, kind of sidetrack, what is your opinion of the announcement they said, because they're making another Aliens movie, but they're tossing three and four out? Huge support. Yeah, I'm okay with this. Yeah. <laughs> for for one, I love Neil Blancam. Mm-hmm. I, I will seriously follow him into the dark and take a bullet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's a very brave decision to say, you know, the films that the fans didn't really respond to, let's give the fans what the fans are asking for. Mm-hmm. Right. And the fan redo. Yeah, and it, it it's is. just such a ballsy move, and I think I, I'm props to Neil for doing it. It shows that he's a true fan of the franchise as well, Okay. if he's he, if he's able to accept that this is what he wants to do. And I'm just stoked to see it. Right. So a- AU in parallel is kind of making a big comeback right now, yeah. and I think it's important. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't do it right that time. Let's, let's do it right this time. <laughs> well, I mean, are we going to see, you know, Heaven forbid, but are we going to kind of have some fans kind of reject it, much like we did with Superman Returns? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows how the film's going to, you know, be produced and how well the final result's going to be? But the fact is, I think they've ta- taken a huge step in the right direction for mm-hmm. the franchise, and then it's just in Neil's hands. Hopefully, it's better than Chappie. <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. Uh, I haven't heard good things about yeah. it. Though. Oh well. Okay. Well, good. Good to know. So. Now let's let's kind of move back uh, back to Disney and Star Wars. Do you think this is a good step? You know, with what they're planning. I mean, because Star Wars has kind of been very, I would have to say, held in an iron grip, really. And so now Disney owns it. We're finding out all these movies are coming out. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Your guys' opinion. I feel like it's. <laughs> At some points, I'm I'm worried it's going to be kind of an overload and people are mm-hmm. kind of, it's not going to be as special, I guess, and unique as it once was. But selfishly, <laughs> <laughs> I'm super excited about, you know, all the, like, Boba Fett, like, all of the different little things coming out because I feel like I've wanted to know more about these characters. Yeah. And, you I mean, you kind of have to use, I guess, logic in your imagination, which is a funny thing to put together to try to figure the stories out yourself. But it's, I'm... I'm Selfish, I think to keep Star Wars going, it is definitely the best decision mm-hmm. they could have made. Because number one, a couple of years ago, Episode Seven was just uh, it'll never happen. It'll we never can, happen. We can hope, and then when the news dropped, everyone, old fans, new fans, everyone got excited. Yeah. So based on that response, it's a very good thing. And you know, if it doesn't, if it doesn't test, or if it doesn't respond very well to the already existing fans, from you know the fans of the originals and even the prequels. You know, that's sad, but there's a whole new generation of people that will probably respect it a lot more, yeah. and it'll it'll draw them into the fandom as well. So I think no matter what happens, you're going to have a huge group of people and a lot of new people yeah. interested in Star Wars, just like you were saying about Star Trek. I mean, I didn't... My mother was a huge Star Trek fan my whole life, and I yeah. never really responded. It's a little dry for me. Yeah, yeah the same one. way. I, my parents were huge Trekkies, right. or Trekkers, whatever the term is now. And... You know, I, I had seen every single one so much that I knew that the second one was almost a flip of Wrath of Khan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, it was you know, I, I I couldn't get into those, but I I loved Star Wars, and then watching those was like this is fun. Yeah. But 
you know, even if people don't respond to the new movies, you know, just like they did with one, two, and three, they're still Star Trek or Star Wars fans. They're still going to love the original ones and reminisce. And let's face it, even though we don't like Episode One and Jar Jar Binks, we still watch Episode One and still watch Jar Jar Binks making a fool of himself. Yeah, I was going to say people have been complaining about Episode One through Three for like <laughs> the last, you know, fifteen years. Yeah. Or you know, not last. Well, yeah, I it's mean, almost been, that long. been yeah. fifteen years. But they still absolutely love the original trilogy. So I mean, yeah. I don't think it's going to. It's put... invincible. There's nothing no. you can do to no. tarnish the original trilogy. I'm sorry. No matter what happens. Can I just say I was skeptical about Rebels, and I started watching it, and it's like, I love that show. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, like, if they can do that, I mean, I haven't. I actually am going to admit I haven't seen Clone Wars. I haven't seen that show. But yeah, that's okay. But. Um, a much better I, Anakin. A much better, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because yeah, Anakin's pretty, pretty whiny. Insufferable. Yep. <laughs> um, but no, like Rebels, I started watching it. We actually saw the when they announced it and all the premieres and stuff, and we were at Disney World. We happened to be there on Star Wars Day. And um, we were like, oh, you know, he was amazing. It was really cool. And then, well, let's see how this goes. Started watching it. I, he started watching it without me because he didn't think I would like it. And I started getting really furious. But I sat down. We literally watched it in one day. The whole thing, and it's nice. at, it's so funny. The kids love it. The adults love it. Like if they can do, if Disney can do this with Star Wars, and yeah. continue to give mm-hmm. that kind of quality story, comedy, just everything about it, I think yeah, it I mean, this like is great for Star definitely Wars. Definitely figured out the formula. They have figured out the formula. Even even if you look at Marvel, even if it's not their formula, yeah, yeah. even yeah. if it's Marvel, even if you know what I mean, the formula is there. The comedy. Well, they found a way to make blockbuster movies, no yeah. matter what character they're given. I mean, when I first heard of Thor, I've never been the biggest Thor fan. I was like, no. eh, it'll be okay. Well, I you, stepped out of the cinema. I was like, this was awesome. We'll even go with Iron Man. Iron Man yeah. has never been a very popular character because, let's face it, he's a uh, you know he's a drunken playboy that sleeps around. Kind of a jerk. Yeah, and he's a jerk. <laughs> but everyone loves the Iron Man movies. He's, he's a superstar hilarious. now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they have figured out the formula to do that with pretty yeah. much anything. And so if they stick to all the magic that makes the movies mm-hmm. incredible again, because it's been a dry, you know, a dry yeah. time for cinema in the past twenty years, it seems like now they're starting to wake up. And I'm so excited that Star Wars gets to be a part of that time. Right. I think the. I think actually the formula, and I hate to say it again, but anti-heroes and imperfect heroes have been the biggest thing, seeing these heroes make these mistakes, yeah. kind of being jerks, you know, doing things, being more human, being funny. I think that's been the big, even like, a, you know, like Maleficent. It was a huge hit. Yeah. And it was because she wasn't all good. She wasn't all bad. She was more, they're making everyone more human. And well, it, it's, it's a character feeling. that we can relate to. Yeah. Right. I could never be that good. Yeah. You know. but I could be that good. I mean, how you know many I mean? of us could, you know, can sympathize or, you know, compare ourselves to Steve Rogers before he gets the serum? You know, he's the weak mm-hmm. little kid that gets picked or a guy that gets picked on all the time, but he right. still has a heart of gold and still faces everything. And, you know, I think one of the really cool defining moments of that movie is where that general is just constantly ragging him and he grabs a grenade and throws it out there and says, grenade. Yep. And, and all the big burly guys run, run like away, sissies, yep. and he jumps on top of it. And then, and surprisingly yeah. enough, as cheesy as it is, that's a really moving part of the movie yeah. when you realize how incredible of a person he is. Yeah. And so another one, Loki. I mean, like they really hit. Oh yeah. I mean, they hit that one out of the park. It's Loki, but five minutes later, everybody 
every girl on this planet is in love with him. And, you know, every guy can say, yeah, I felt like that. You know yeah. what I mean? I know what that feels mm-hmm. like to to be that guy. To be the jerk and, yeah. you know, or... To yeah. be jealous. Or be the jealous the brother. The jealous younger brother, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think they've really found the humanity in the comics and the characters. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the question kind of comes back with Star Wars. We don't really have a lot of humor like we see with the comic book movies. Is it you know? But we do see it in like Rebels or right. Clone Wars. Is that something that we should they should put in, or is this something that they need to kind of monitor and put in at the right moments? What Abrams did with Star Trek, mm-hmm. it was perfect. It yeah. was dark. It was actiony. It yeah. was intense. But here and there, there were these flares of humor that really brought us back down to earth with those characters. And, and relieved the tension of it. Yeah. more humor or if there was better humor. I mean, Captain Kurt, you know, like, he said something he thought was funny every once in a while. But in this one, it, it was it was actually funny. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, I don't know if the amount of jokes changed or if it, they were just better and more mm-hmm. appropriately timed, you know? It helps you better invest yourself with the characters. Yeah, yeah, and I think, I mean, it doesn't need to be, I don't know. I really liked Guardians a lot, and that might be too much humor for Star Wars, but I think there's a balance, Mm -hmm. like, in between that would be perfect. Yeah. But they do need to add a little bit more humor in there. Knowing Abrams, it'll be very (laughs) dark. Yeah. It'll be a lot like Star Trek, and I'm totally okay with that. Well, more like the second one than the first one, I think. Yeah, I, mean, I would really like to see. I mean, because the story of Star Wars is kind of a dark and light story. I mean, there's moments where the light prevails and it's good, but most of the time the Sith bring it really down, and there's a lot of uh, dark themes going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to really see the nitty gritty Star Wars. I mean, that I've read in the expanded universe books. So that'd be really cool. You can just see. watch our movies. Pretty, yeah, pretty I mean, nitty-gritty. yeah. <laughs> so I mean, with doing. Your movie, was there any point in time where you had to create something? Like create, I mean, you probably don't have droids in there, but create a, a unique lightsaber or a unique, I mean, it sounds like you, Revan has a, a chamber. So what? what is the chamber? It's his okay. throne, pretty much. Okay. He, he, um, it's a very short scene, but it's very important to set up the story. Yeah. You know, it shows that, yeah, he's stepped into power, he's in charge, but he's not technically in power. You know, mm-hmm. as long as Nihilus is walking around, things are, you know, in danger. And we had to create, you know, with the small budget that we had, we, you know, did our best. But when we saw it, in post, we're like, man, that looked really cool. We had to build a this. lot better than we thought it would. Yeah. yeah, we had to build the throne chair, which was probably the hardest part. We right. had to go buy drywall, make it look like metal, and then put the big old you know flags and stuff down, and just make it look very imperial. Right, yeah. but it was also very dark. Um, so we spun it in a way in our favor. It was very, it was very important to have the throne area for him and to kind of you know have Basila by his side because that's kind of what people expect. Yeah. They expect Basila by his side, and they kind of expect Mitra to, you know, be the commander and do the dirty work kind of thing. And so it was, it turned out to be, I think, a very powerful visual. Yeah. To see when you the, think about the relationships, that's what make it, makes it special right. for me. Because, I mean, I, I don't know how many people are familiar with Knights of the Republic, but Mitra did work with Revan yeah. mm-hmm. a ways back. Yeah. She's a general. One of her, his generals. General, yeah. 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 And she, she, was, she, she was outcasted, and then Revan... And she ignited the Shadow Generator, if I remember yeah. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, on Mandalore. And, I mean, like, it, there was so much that happened between 
her and Revan, right. that when we brought back that character Mitra to the time after what we're familiar with, mm-hmm. it was like, wow, you know, that, that relationship has already had time to develop. Right. But in that time, new relationships have been made. Yeah. And so having her come back while Revan is with Bastila was really hard for Mitra because she had a really close relationship with Revan as mm-hmm. well. And yeah. we make it work, but there was a right. lot of tension, especially visually. And, and nice. you know, there's not as much tension in the film, but I remember the the original screenplay, there was a little bit more, you know. Competitive. But he, he was like, we can't make this like a triangle. Yeah. <laughs> keep the twilight out of it and have a Star Wars movie. But yeah, I mean, I thought it was a really cool aspect too. Cause we were do it when we started writing everything. I just walked in one day and I was like, you know, I'm pretty sure that these two women knowing women, <laughs> they're going to butt heads. Yeah. Well, one yeah. of them wants to be his favorite and who's going to be his favorite, yeah. the general or, you know, I mean, and eventually he marries Basla on in the light side, right? When he's a Jedi, does and, he eventually and they have a child? Yeah, yeah. And our our version takes place immediately after yeah. the end of the last game. So all of that relationship stuff, we haven't quite put a concrete, you know, uh, definition on it, but it is very clear that Mitra and Bastila don't like each other. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. It really would. Um, you know, say women can women are women. get catty <laughs> when there's a guy involved. I mean, guys right. can be the same way when. Two guys are competing for the, for a woman's affection. Yeah, uh, it's just kind of human nature. But throwing Jedi powers that can just get crazy. Yeah, yeah. throwing Jedi powers yeah. is not good. <laughs> so, huh? That would actually be an interesting fight to actually put into That's a movie. That's what I said. <laughs> the original screenplay got a lot more scrappy with the yep. other characters yeah. in this one, but you know. It, but when you have five minutes, you can't throw that touch. Yeah, when in. you put yeah. those three on the battlefield together and uh, things get bad, yeah. it, it was exciting to see which person he went to. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Very interesting. To protect. Although you know, we will always be sad that we couldn't make the big long version that we wanted yeah. to. Uh, when we well, were done, well, who knows what'll happen? Well, but well. <laughs> when we were done and we stepped back and we looked at the film that we had produced in in its entirety, we felt we got everything we wanted across. Yeah, every, and it is beautiful. Every you know? point that we wanted to get across happened, and so fortunately enough, as much as we wrote, we have we could do three or four films. Mm-hmm. Three or four seven-minute films on what we have, and so, you know, I kind of wanna, I want to visit this area again. He wants to do something else. He wants to do a. Well, that's what I said on this show yeah. a couple years ago. That uh, I'm stepping away from Night's Republic for several years. Well, now he's got me hooked. And, so that's a problem. And you're back. <laughs> and we're back. And we'll be back again. I don't care what he says. I I love it. I love these characters, even if Mitra is not a part of it. I I love these we've, characters. We we really thought about adopting ourselves to be the Nitro Republic film people. Yeah, I, I mean, mean that would be cool. It would be yeah. awesome, and I know that he does. We we love Revan. We love the whole Knights of the Old Republic, and I think that we liked it a lot. And I think we're the right people to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Disney, pay attention. Hey, you hear that, Michael Eisner? Yes, I, I mean, know you're well, listening. I mean, this would be really cool. Uh, you know, if you guys can pull off a win, and you know, and they come to you and say, "Hey, we really like the Knights of the Old Republic idea. We want you to film it. Would you do it? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah tomorrow, let's do it. <laughs> Again, there's that perspective of I'd be sad I couldn't sit back and watch it and enjoy yeah. it. But if this is the only way to get these characters on screen, I will totally. 
take that upon ourselves. Like that is yeah. it is such a cool undiscovered era for a lot of Star yeah. Wars people fans. And uh, I mean, the Old Republic, even that game for me, it was just the characters, all of the the formula from the first games all came back, and you feel yeah. all the same things, and it's just it's so powerful that it's. It just adds so much to the universe, and we're very honored that we've been able to take these characters and actually bring some notice to them right. through these films. So. It's like it's like a period piece for Star Wars, <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's kind of your ultimate goal is to get into making films, correct? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, and besides this, you've had other stuff. You had uh, Blood Gulch. If I remember, or did I say that? I would wrong? love to work on Blood Gulch. Yeah, but uh, Bloodshot yeah. Rock. Bloodshot, Bloodshot Rock. That's and right. Blood. Yeah. And black yeah. blood. There's we've a lot done a of lot of some bloody things. Yeah. Well. <laughs> and creature, our creature film. Yeah, we've we've done a lot since the last time we've been on the show. Yeah. And you know, it's it's been a lot of fun. But I, I find myself every time I want to do a Star Wars movie, it's so easy to do because we have so much support. Yeah. From yeah. every direction we look in, it's like you guys need money, boom, there's the money. You guys need space, here's the space. It's just so much love for the franchise. Well, that's really cool. It brings everybody closer together. And right. And we have a, a really and there's amazing a lot of, crew, and they all love Star Wars just as much yeah. as we do. So. And there's the 501st and a lot of cosplayers, so you probably save money on costuming because they already have it. That's our huge moneymaker there yeah. in costumes. And Shh, you're not supposed to tell everybody that. <laughs> That's a secret. That's a no, 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 but it's true. Like, it, it helps out so much. I mean, our our budget... I don't know if I want to say it on air. Multiplies. No, you, you, don't, you don't have to say the budget. No, but I was going to say multiplies when we have these friends that are like, hey, I made this costume. I would love to put it in front of a camera. Yeah. And I worked so hard yeah, on it. Yeah, because you don't have to spend the money on that costume. Now it can go which somewhere else. only a couple thousand dollars a costume. Yeah. Yeah. Which is more than our which budget. Which Revan was yours. Revan mm-hmm. was your costume. And you worked very hard to make that costume. I had a Nihilus costume too, but I liked David so much better. Yeah. And he fit it. Perfectly. Yeah, but that Huge. nihilist mask that you had came in handy later. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so how tall is uh, David that played Nihilus? Probably six five. Wow, he's pretty tall. Yeah, yeah. maybe even taller. I'm than that. six foot, and he was quite a bit taller he's than me. Maybe even six seven. I don't know. He was very tall. That's a, that's a yeah. very imposing Sith. Well, when you put him next to Revan, yeah. who we got the right size for, he was like 5'10", five, 5'11", five, yeah. yeah. like that. And you put him next to Nihilus, it's like, uh, he's got his work cut out for him if he's going to come out alive. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the choreography came out beautifully in that aspect. Just having the size difference be accurate really made it genuine. Yeah, I was authentic. terrified to do the project because I was so tall. And I was like, I don't know, I'm so big. It's going to look weird fighting these Sith being so much bigger than yeah. them. And he was like, no, you haven't met David. <laughs> and then I saw him and I was like, oh, I feel really tiny right now. We felt like we had our own Darth Vader on set. Yeah, I felt super huge. tiny. Wow. Yeah, he's very daunting. <laughs> Force to be reckoned with. So what? So this goes till the end of March. And then you celebration is April sixteenth. April sixteenth okay. is when the festival will be taking place, and that's when we'll know the results of the film festival. And I I don't know if the voting does end at the end of of March. I actually think it does go a week into April or something like that. But we'll we'll send you guys all the details. I will look it up right now. There Yay. we go. Because uh, I can. So Star Wars. Uh, yeah, we're we're super excited. I mean. I hope I hope that we do well, but if we don't, I'm I'm incredibly excited to go to Celebration. I when we started dating, Celebration had already ended. They had announced or it had one year. It was the last year of it, I think. Yeah. And then it was done, and he was so upset, and I was upset because I 
I had never even had a chance to go, and then it started, and I was just, I'm just incredibly excited to go to Celebration. Hey, Whatever. look at that. There it is. Yeah, no matter what ha- no matter what happens, we're just happy to be there. On the main page, and there's your face, and there's your name. Hello. They, they've actually got quite a few here. Oh, wow. All right, so official rules. Let me pull this up. I think they've got cartoons. They've got some little kids. Every genre you can think of is on there for Star Wars. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of talented filmmakers. Yeah. Stop animation. I think we're one of like three serious movies actually out of the whole twenty five. I think there's a lot of comedies and a lot of cartoons or animation. Lucasfilm really likes their heartfelt, you know, tributes to the fans and their fandom and (laughs) They have good fans, so they should We decided to cut someone's head off. Yep. And we'll see how we do. You cut someone's head off. Well Spoiler alert. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's interesting. Uh, voting. Sorry, it wasn't on that main page. I gotta find another side page. There it is. Wow, great! When you guys are writing this all out um, with fans as religious as they are about this, was it scary, kind of putting this story together and hoping you got it right? Well, this isn't our first Star Wars film by a long shot. I've done, I think, three or four of them, including this one, and every single time you're going to get criticism that you're not too happy with, and you, there's always room to improve. I mean, personally, as a filmmaker and professionally, like, you take what you need to improve and then you know, overlook the rest. When we were writing it, we were like, okay, so we don't want to run into the same stuff, uh, half because we don't want the bad comments, and the other half because we want to, you know, not disrespect the canon that's already been put together right. with the legends now, I suppose. And so that's why we took the direction we did. We call it the J.J. Abrams effect, yep. where it's a completely different you know, existence, a completely different universe alternate. And um, we were able to do whatever we wanted with it, just so as long as we followed the guidelines of what had happened before. And it was very liberating and, and exciting. And, and the character's personality, I think, so that you believe if they were in that situation, that's how they would respond. I think that's probably the most important thing. Because, yeah, yeah anytime anyone has a problem, we can just say, it's parallel. <laughs> it's not. The you know very I mean? first thing you'll see in the director's cut is that this is an alternate story yep. based off the alternate ending of Knights of the Old Republic, the first game. Everything after that, including events that took place in uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2, has been rewritten right. to accommodate this new storyline. And then in big letters, so shut your mouth. <laughs> I <laughs> wish. Yeah, trolls. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, the first one, the first one that you did, or the last one that you did, Shadows. What was the the game, the new game came out, or some book or something came the out. The Revan book came out. Yeah, right afterwards. And so everything that he had put in there was now not accurate at all anymore. And so that kind of that it's hurts. Al- it's always that scary, hurts. but you know, the people that really enjoy it and appreciate it, those are the people that you make the film for anyway. Right, we didn't the people even... that like to have fun yeah. and not be yeah. angry. So it looks like it is till the end of March. Awesome. Till the end of March. Awesome. Oh. Yep. We're pretty excited. Ten minutes of that to find out information that we already knew. So we'll yeah. have like yeah. five minutes of dead space in the show while y'all are voting. And that's so okay. Googling with us. Yeah. You could have Googled Googling. With us. And you guys <laughs> probably Googled faster than I did. So, um, so this is a really exciting for you guys. And uh, this is out. Hopefully you win. Everyone out there vote the for it. official release date of the Director's Cut will be April 17th. Hey, that's my daughter's birthday. There you go. Yeah. I made it just for your daughter. Yeah, and her middle name is Hope. So it's kind of a 
It works. It does work. Yeah. We'll be dedicating it to hope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that, that's that's an awesome uh, awesome day. So that would be pretty cool that it comes out. Yeah. Um, we wanted to have the results of the film festival and the description and everything before everyone saw it. And it's pretty much done. The director's yeah. cut's pretty much done. You're going to be able to see it uh, when we send you a link. I was supposed Sweet. to bring a DVD, but uh, Ooh, it's I, pretty awesome. DVD. I like a DVD. Yeah. I can yeah. play it on my TV and with my surround sound system. There you go. That would be even cooler. Yeah, that's kind of scary. <laughs> the sound is great, though. <laughs> I'm sorry. That yeah. that is my favorite thing in the world to do is to sit down, put my Star Wars D- DVD in, close it, turn up the surround sound, and you get that, <laughs> you know, at the very beginning, uh, you know, and then you know, especially like uh, Episode two and three, I love the the sound design. the sound design on the star battles. You know, it just going do 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 all bouncing around me and. Especially that one scene where he's going after the Django Fett and that, and he launches those yeah. weird grenades yeah, and just goes, that, that's yeah. my that is the coolest sound. sound. I just, <laughs> I just sit there and let it radiate through my chest. I'm just like, that <laughs> was I was just sweet. thinking about that when you were talking yeah. about your trauma. I'm like, that's my most favorite and, sound in the whole. And world. even now, even now, so many years later, I still just, I just wait, and it's like, that was satisfying. I don't have to watch the rest of the movie. <laughs> that's cool. All right, turn it off. Let's go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I I think Star Wars is something that will never go away. I mean, all of us have had that moment—the very first time sitting down watching the door opens and Darth Vader steps in, Imperial March goes off, and you just go, "Oh, that's awesome!" No matter Uh, what generation you're in. Oh no, yeah, it'll always have the same effect. Yeah, and I can't even my kids—you know—they're running around with Darth Vader, and it's like, no, they're not playing with Luke; it's Darth Vader. Yeah. Uh, well, even kids that grow up with all the new flashy effects and all the big blockbuster yeah. movies today, they can sit and watch a movie from the '70s and be just as, if not more, excited. Yeah. What? Like it's it's incredible to watch. Yeah, my son who is five, when he was four, he would watch the original trilogy mm-hmm. over and over and over well, and over. It's again. amazing. I love it. But the new one, he's yeah no. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> the, there, there are some issues with the new ones. Um, I don't know if it's those. Issues. Hayden Christensen. He just loves the. Character. Uh, <laughs> he just loves the original character so much more. He loves Han Solo. It he actually likes. Well, Luke the, a the, lot, those are really great characters, and I honestly feel that one, two, and three could have been so much better if we would have gotten a much better Anakin. I mean, the Anakin that we see in uh, the Clone Wars series, amazing. Oh. He's confident. He's strong. You know, right. if there's something he doesn't agree with, he goes ahead and does it anyways and kind of, you know, says sorry later. Right. You know, but then we see the Anakin in the movies and he's whiny and he's complaining. So and it's whiny. like, it's like, wait a minute. Where I, I don't understand where this Anakin comes from, you where he goes from. believe that this man is to rule an empire. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's like watching Joffrey take power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I had so much pleasure watching that kid die. <laughs> Who did it? I think everyone is just like, yes, yeah. it's finally happening. I know. There was riots on the street. There were uh, parades. <laughs> I don't know if you saw this article. Uh, and you guys, uh, you know, Savart and Scotty, you can chime in too. Uh, there was an article that someone wrote where, because you know, it's kind of been rumored that, Padme died of a broken heart. I saw this article. But the article actually is written that Padme didn't die of that, that you know, because 
the robots can't detect the force. You know, right. everyone okay. has the force, and she was literally dying. They're like, we don't know. But there's a key moment where we hear that uh, Sidious or uh, Palpatine is talking about his master learned how to cheat death by creating life and taking life. That actually uh, Sidious was draining Padme of her life force or the force, and then feeding it into uh, to to heal uh, Anakin. Your thoughts on that? We had I like that. That's interesting. Yeah, when we were writing Broken Souls, because Nihilus, that's the whole point of Nihilus, is that he drains the Force energy from out living. of his victims. Yeah. And, you know, although he didn't put him in anything else, we were like, so the Force has so much power and influence on living beings mm-hmm. that completely plausible that that's what happened. And I love that. It makes Episode 3 even better for me thinking right. that. Well, no, I, I completely agree. When I read this, I'm like, that is so much more awesome, because... She died of a broken heart. I mean, I I understand that happens, you know, but it's lame. It, it's a lame. It's, lame. it's yeah. really lame. I mean, and, and that also gives another explanation of why Anakin's like, but I felt her, and I could still feel her up to that point where he stands up, and yeah. he's like, I can't feel her anymore. What's happened? Right. So it's so much more plausible that, and that's why Sidious would have this that that grin he had because he knew he now had power over. Uh, Anakin and or Vader, because Padme was probably the one thing that could have, you know, even in the suit and that could have turned the them back. Which yeah. you know later on we find, you know, that's what Luke was able to do, it, that family connection. Um, it makes it so much more awesome. Disney should step forward and say, hey, so we read this thing online and it's pretty cool, and now that's what it is. So. Yeah, that, that's now canon. Episode three on that. Blu-ray. Yeah. Put <laughs> a whole new form of evil into it. Oh, it does. You know, it's awesome, um, and it puts another level of nastiness upon Sidious. So, uh, you know, one more question then, uh, kind of going back with the whole Star Wars thing. What is your opinion about putting uh, Hayden Christensen in at the very end of uh, the Jedi as, as the uh, the if, Force? If we could spirit? get an outside perspective of my house, there was <laughs> a TV flying through the window. <laughs> And rage just all about inside. It was it was so insulting. Yeah, you know, I mean, just inappropriate. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. <laughs> inappropriate. I think is a better word. Well, I mean, honestly, that's why I have not gone out to buy buy it on Blu-ray or anything like that because I have the original uh, DVD set before they made that change, and I refuse <laughs> to go get the new ones because they tamper way too much with them. Yeah, I, that's the one thing. If anything, you know, I know Lucas was trying to get something really cool, but I think that was the wrong move. Because he came back to the light as an older guy. I, that would have been much better. And that w- was suitable. I mean, that made more sense than going back, oh, well, this is when he was truly a Jedi, so that's what he looks like. That was just stupid, in my opinion. It was a selfish opinion. decision that actually messed with the storytelling. Yeah. And even that infuriated me to no mm-hmm. end. But the biggest thing in the Blu-ray cuts that really ticked me off was added the line, no, with Darth Vader. As he's he's you know stepping up to defeat the emperor. Yeah. In the original cut, you know Vader doesn't have to say a thing. He's a man wearing a mask, and yet you can feel, you know, oh, yeah. the conflict and 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 his decision to step back in the light and make this de- like it was so powerful. And Lucas just completely destroyed the yeah. the subtlety of it. Yeah, trying to spoon feed everybody. Yeah. Well, I, I that scene is 
that scene you're talking about is amazing because you just see the lights reflecting off of his mask. That's all you see. You don't. You really don't see the lightsaber battle going on between, or not the lightsaber, the, the lightning. lightning. Uh, you're seeing some of it, but that that is one of the pinnacle moments and of the it, whole yeah the whole story. He doesn't need to say anything in any way, shape, or form because it's like my son, my master. Right. And then he makes yeah. that final fateful decision, which you know ultimately ends his life. But at the same time, saves his son. I, You're right. That the no, whole trilogy yeah. comes down to that moment. That moment, yeah. Don't touch it. Well, I don't. Even, <laughs> we can even go all six movies. Really, everything. Just everything. All, everything boils down to that moment. Uh, and you know, episode seven. I know there's rumors that this is kind of the goodbye to, you know, Luke, Han, and Leia, which I is a good idea. You know, because we're moving forward. Those guys are getting older. Uh, obviously, Harrison, Harrison might not make it to episode eight. <laughs> you so can't. He... We can't promise that Harrison will make it to episode eight, especially <laughs> if he's flying into golf courses. Um, but uh, it, it, I see it as a really good point to say goodbye to the old cast and move forward, so we can get new stories. I mean, like they did um, with Leonard Nimoy in Star Trek. Yeah, you know, there was just a little bit of him. But it was enough to make all the fans go. You know what I mean? JJ knows Connect what he's doing. Connect the story. Connect the story. Yeah. Connect the old, the new. Well, and, and, and bring a marriage. I do like that he went to the alternate timeline because that's the only way he could do it without getting every single Star Trek fan completely going ballistic on him. You can't. We but, hope that works for us. Well, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, in Star Wars, there isn't a plausible way to do that like there was in Star Trek. But there's still a way to say, okay. These guys are going on. We're moving on with these characters. Let's move forward. I think it's a great decision. Yeah, yeah. and oh, you know, absolutely. and they can still use Ben Skywalker if they decide to keep that name or the the Solo twins. Um, I, I you know I don't know how far in advance they're going in the timeline. You know, you know the Dark Empire does that that storyline even exist? Does the Tron trilogy even exist? Um, I mean, it would be interesting to see what they, they enter in. And then, you know, even with that said, going back in time, seeing the Knights of the Old Republic would be really awesome because that's one of my favorite eras of all in the Star Wars universe because it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I it's you know, the Star Forge is amazing. It it just doesn't make any sense how we have these really cool technological advancements going on during the old Republic and then we get to, you know, the time of Luke and all that and Nothing's really changed. Nothing's changed. <laughs> I mean, really, we got a few different designs and ships, and the droids look a little bit rounder or shinier, but it's yes. still the same type of stuff. Yeah, I felt like there was much better technology in episodes one through three than there was. Well, I, obviously, it, be, but and I know, and Lucas has kind of explained that it's because all the really cool shiny stuff the Empire hoarded, you know, and so. The rebels had to go with the junk, so that's right. why we had kind of clunky stuff. But even then, Tie Fighters weren't that cool. I mean, come on, yeah, they had cooler type ships flying around in in one and two and three. So. He's looking at me because I'm an X-wing miniatures player. And, yeah, he, he, oh, he loves the mm, Tie Fighters. I like that. They have a da- <laughs> da- Dash Rendar ships out there. I need to go buy it. Yeah, the Decimators. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Decimators out there too. Uh, my only problem is Armada's out now, and yeah. She doesn't even know about that. We'll 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 chat after the show. Space yeah. and ground unit. I just room. bought him a ship. 
I think yeah. he's okay for at least a couple well, see, of weeks. Well, see, the Armada is basically like X-Wing, but with the giant ships. Yeah, so, you know, the Star Destroyers, the Super Star Destroyers. Daniel, see yeah. that look she's giving me? Yeah. You just got me in so much trouble right now. Sorry. <laughs> Gosh, these expensive hobbies. <laughs> hey, there's there's more expensive stuff out there. I yeah. know. Magic I was, the Gathering. I looking. <laughs> for, for everyone who doesn't know, uh, listening to the show, uh, <laughs> I am engaged to Mitra Sarek. Yes. So you can all yes. suck on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I he he loves X Wing, and I support him. All I can say is there could be a lot worse habits. I mean. Honestly, yeah, he there could be, be other things. He's, exactly, he could be yeah. addicted to that. Instead, he's addicted to X-wing. I switched ships. for you, baby. Yeah, thanks, babe. Now there's ships all over the house instead of crazy people <laughs> with doorknobs and light bulbs. People think those are cool. People walk into our apartment and the first thing they see is the uh, huge statue of Revan that we put the costume. Yeah, on, we and have like, what and is that? And we have a stormtrooper statue. Like we have bought mannequins and we put all these amazing costumes that he's made. On the mannequins, and I need to talk to you where you guys bought these mannequins. So yeah, Halloween was one of my. Di. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of them. Okay. Yeah. We bought them. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Halloween's one of my favorite holidays. I need mannequins because I like mo- things moving, and there is nothing more amazing of a feeling than having little children run screaming from your home after they've collected candy from your door. And then they come back because they want to scream some more. Yeah. So I like, like, what was that? Yeah. I want to see it again. I like doing <laughs> scary stuff. But uh, that is awesome. I would love having a Stormtrooper or even Darth it, Vader. Or it, it, stand Vader. there and watch his TV with us. That's everybody. okay. Yeah. It can just stand there all the time. Hank, Hank the Stormtrooper. Yeah. Yeah. Always around. Hank's a very good member of the family. He doesn't make a mess or talk back. We like him. Even better. <laughs> He's a good man. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you looking at me right now? Because, because apparently you make a mess. Oh, and yeah. you talk back. Yeah, I do. Oh. It's not okay. <laughs> okay, so since you are engaged, I will give you the secret. This is the best thing to ever say is, yes, dear. It always earns you brownie points. And you can never go wrong. Oh, his eyes just glazed <laughs> over a little bit. I just try to make it nerdy in some way. I'll just, every time you sit, you know, I'll kneel down, and, as you wish. As you wish, that works. Master. Yeah. That's a good way to get kicked in the face. Oh. <laughs> no, he always makes it nerdy, and it's so cute. I can't be mad. There you go. It's adorable. It's perfect. He's lucky he's a nerd. <laughs> he gets yeah. away with a lot more. Hey, at least you found nerd. someone that, that loves that. Yeah. Yeah. Helps that she's hot. There you yeah. go. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Something ever happens to my face, I'm not going to make it out there for long yet. Hey, <laughs> come on. Just look at Mark Hamill. He survived some having his face. I will say that I don't ever want to be compared to Mark Hamill. <laughs> ever. Uh, ho- what a horrible thing to say. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> he he survived. He's sushi girl, right? He did. Yeah. And he's the Joker. Yeah, you could go on to voice Harley Quinn. Yeah, maybe. when yeah. your face yeah. is gone, you can just do voiceovers. That's perfect. <laughs> well, we're well, doing radio right now. Yeah, that's true. Started. Yeah, I'm getting good practice. And then you eventually, you know, get into the Kingsman where your head explodes. Yeah. I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was awesome. We're just we're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I think I think that's him. Yeah, that was Mark. And he, that movie was already amazing, and then they just 
they just kept taking it up and taking it, it up was, the whole time. I was just sitting there and I'm like, he's doing a British Joker. <laughs> he really right was. It was the Joker's voice, but with a British accent. And I'm just like, just, oh my gosh. We, I don't think we, a lot of times we go to movies and we don't look at IMDb because yeah. we don't want to get, like, we don't want to read the reviews and kind of have. I don't blame you. You know what I mean? And so I had absolutely no idea that he was going to be in it, and a couple of other people as well. And so we start watching it, and it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, oh it's my the guy gosh. from Jay and Silent Bob. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah, no, we just, it's just everybody. It was, it was such a good movie. Well, and and then to hear Samuel L. Jackson with the weird lisp. It was hilarious. And he was like, he this said anything. Uber we were nerd. laughing. Yeah, it was hilarious. <laughs> but, you know, I, this movie is kind of pulled Mark Hamill out because now he's going to be playing the trickster on The Flash again because he was yeah. in the original TV series and he's playing We're the same character. Flash, we love the, the Flash. Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, there's actually a rumor going around that Tom Welling will be showing up as Clark Kent in the next season. Yeah, yep. He that. told me that uh, the other day. If that happens, oh my gosh, awesome. Can we get the... Michael is like Luther as well. We yeah. just wanna... Michael Rosenbaum. Yeah, maybe bring everyone back. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I I do know that I know we're not getting Kevin Spacey. So. Yeah. Well, I don't mind Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor. He did a pretty good job. And actually, I was kind of we talked about that. I think it was on last week's show where uh, it would be kind of funny if on one of the episodes where you know in uh, House of Cards because he where he's Frank Underwood, he just like pulls his head his hair off and it's bald. And he's like, yeah, this was all planned. I'm actually Lex Luthor. <laughs> uh, you know, that would be a really cool dreamscape that they could do. Uh, but, uh, I think he would do it too. He is that kind of he would. Humor. He does I have feel that like he would humor. totally do it. I mean, because he's been in he was in one of these uh, shooter games, voicing as the president as uh, Frank Underwood. Uh, so that would be really cool. Uh, I don't know. I I do know that uh, Stan Lee did say that Michael Rosenbaum is the best portrayal of Lex Luthor he's ever seen. I think just again because he adds a human side to him. Yeah. And you know, and, and, and I'm gonna be honest. I love Kevin Spacey, and I didn't not like Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. I love Kevin Spacey all the time. <laughs> I just didn't love the rest of that film. No, I I, <laughs> I think Michael did a much better job as Lex. He's yeah. He's my, and he's, he's, he's the right age. He's yeah. younger. He's you my know. favorite Lex Luthor. I've got to interview him. It was awesome. I heard. How is? Uh, oh, and, and Bruce Campbell leaned on my shoulder. Uh, he video bombed that interview. It was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Go check it out. We definitely will. Yeah. Daniel. It was, with it was hatred, with hatred in our heart. It w- seriously, <laughs> I, I'm sitting here interviewing Michael because he asked us to meet him outside the photo booth. So I feel this pressure on my shoulder. I'm like, oh, crap, security is going to pull me. So I'm like, okay, this interview's over. And the guy leans over. He's like, yeah, I invented the internet. And starts going off. I'm like, who the heck is this guy? And I look over, and it's Bruce freaking Campbell. And then he starts, then him and Michael Rosenbaum start getting in a fake fist fight on camera. And it's like, I can't even, couldn't have planned this any better. <laughs> it was awesome. But uh, no, Michael is hilarious. So, all right. So if you, we got a few minutes left. So if you win. They offer you the job, and they say, okay, who do you want to cast in your Star Wars movie? Because they're going to let you do Knights of the Old Republic. And because it's Disney, they have a huge, huge mountain of money, and you can get anyone on your movie. Who would you go for? Who would be your top three actors? Oh, my gosh. Or actresses. That's a big question. Okay, well, Revan. We'll start with Revan. We need someone uh, decent height, uh, 
Fassbender. Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender. He's a bit big. I like him. <laughs> Michael Fassbender can be Malik. How about that? Okay. That would he work, actually. Yeah, Michael like Fassbender that. is Malik. He can do bald. Uh, maybe Jude Law as uh, oh. Revan, perhaps. Gosh. I like Jude Law. You hurt my heart. I like Jude Law. Okay. Yeah. He's fantastic. Only in Road to Perdition. Yeah. And Bastila. Who would you have as Bastila? I like the chick from Shield. What's her name? Which, the the uh, one that plays the one in the Avengers, the one that's the right hand man to. Uh, she's a Nick little Fury. too old. The one that's Nick. Uh, the, she's, a little old. she's also in a. Oh, what was that TV series? You all know what we're talking about, right, listeners? Please call us one eight hundred. Let us know who we're talking about. How I met. She's in How I Met Your Mother. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That one, yeah. I know who you're. Yeah. I, know I, who you're talking, I can't remember her name. She's a little too old. We would have to... Awesome no. for ninety oh. seconds. We're almost out of time. Um. All right. Well. Why is Michael Fassbender's involved? <laughs> turn that down just a little bit so it doesn't come across because it's going to say it again. I'll plug uh, my crew really quick. Thank go you right to ahead. Everybody that was involved in Night's Old Republic, you guys are the reason why it happened. All of the people that uh, donated in our Indiegogo account, thank you so much. We hope to work with you and we. Hope Hope another Night's Joe Republic movie as much as I deny it. We will be back. Yes, we will. (laughs) You have to let me know. All right, so we're down to the last minute. Uh, So go to StarWars.com, find Night's of the Old Republic Broken Souls, watch it, and vote for it. I don't, or, or just vote for it. Don't watch it. I don't care. Either way. You guys can even <laughs> wait for the director's cut. It's even better. But yeah, vote definitely vote for it so these guys win so they can get the props and then maybe film the next actual Knights of the Old Republic movie and have the buckets of money behind yeah, them so they can do it. make this. it bigger and better. But not only that, they can win this awesome award and uh, so they can make more, really. Uh, we're all Star Wars fans. Go out. Vote for them. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Make everyone vote for them because uh, this is the film you're looking for. I know that was that was kind of that was kind of lame. Yeah. We're losing votes, Daniel. No, all right. So we're out of here. Uh, We'll catch you next time. And with that, good night, world. Good night, Salt Lake. And get more from your games and vote for Broken Souls. All right, we're out.